Hi, welcome to Cochrane Alliance Church and our online sermons. We are so glad you are able to join us. We pray that this sermon will be a blessing and an encouragement to you this week. All right, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a pleasure to be here this morning uh, speaking with you. Um, I don't know about you guys, but over the last 20 or so years of my faith walk with Christ, um, I struggle with doubt occasionally. Not so much doubt on whether God exists. I've kind of been pretty confident with that over the years. But the thing I struggle with, the question that I struggle with is, is he good? C.S. Lewis has something to say about that. And this quote from The Problem of Pain, I think, really comforts me. And it goes like this. A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. And based on what we see in the story of the Bible, it's, it's quite true. Unlike some of the pagan gods, some of the Greek gods or some of the Babylonian gods that require worship and sacrifices some sort of sustenance, the God of scripture does not need us. Therefore, nothing we could ever say or do or think could make him less good, less powerful, or less magnificent. And it's just a wonder to think how the God of the universe, the God of all creation, the one who created everything we see and everything we don't see, would even bother to create us in the first place. The reason he created us was, as multiple passages in the Bible say, so that we would be his people and that he would be our God. He is a relational God. Each moment of each hour of each day, he sees us and he loves us with an unending love and desires for us to be with him. And praying to the Lord is, our, is the primary way we interact with him. As my Scottish dad says, pray as often as you think of it, because if you're praying, you're probably not sinning. I've lived with him for 20 years, so I've got to be pretty good at a Scottish accent at this point. And when we speak to God, we're already placing him in his rightful place as master, savior, and friend. And sometimes when I'm talking him, with him, he'll hit me with something that I, that's kind of unexpected. A few years back, um, as I was just starting at Alberta, Alberta Bible College, this was just before the pandemic hit, um, what I would do is I... Would, I was still living here in Cochrane with my parents, and I would drive into the college all the way in Calgary. It would be about 35 minutes. I would have class, and then when class was done, I would go into work to Tim Hortons, and that was up in Royal Oak in Calgary. And then when I was finished with that, I would drive home. And then there was just kind of this triangle that I would make a few times a week. And I was kind of getting more tired and more tired as time went on, as the weeks went by. And I just remember one time I'm driving up 22 on the way back to my parents' home, and I was just like, oh, Lord, I, I just need you to give me strength for tomorrow, Lord. I just need you to give me strength for tomorrow. And I'm just feeling the anxiety well up within me. And I just remember, just as clear as day, the Lord said to me, I only give you strength for today. I only give you strength for the present moment. I'm not sure I quite understood what he meant when I heard, first heard him speak it. But as time has gone on, I've kind of began to understand more. The present is where God meets us. That's where we meet him. 
God's mercies are new every morning. He sustains us each day. And, but I can also most likely speak for all of us when I say that our lives can be riddled with anxiety. There's hardly ever a time when there isn't a lot going on, whether it be in our personal lives or whatever is going on in the world. And when speaking in a general sense, I can say that most of the time, on good, di- on good days and on bad days, um, that I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't have a clue what lies ahead of me. Most of my prayers to God end up being, God, help me, or Lord, give me strength, and so on, and those types of prayers. Because the truth is that I cannot trust myself to do what's right very often. <laughs> The heart is deceitful above all things, and oftentimes we are driven by what we feel in our hearts. And speaking of what we feel in our hearts, I remember one time when I was like eight or nine, and I was just fascinated with storms, particularly with tornadoes. And I would oftentimes go on the internet, onto YouTube, and I would look up like tornadoes, like some F5 tornadoes in Tornado Alley, and I'd just be like, this is so cool. Um, Little did I know that inadvertently I would give myself a phobia of tornadoes for the next like two years. Anytime there was some sort of cloud cover, I would just feel this fear, this, this almost primal fear that a tornado would happen or some sort of storm would happen. And that went on for like two years and it stuck with me. Eventually I got over it, but it was just, it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun, I'll, I'll tell you that. And much of the time, I find that we are motivated by fear. It's all over the place. It's a pervasive disease that permeates the world. You see it in the eyes of the people you know. You see it all over the news with everything that's happening in Ukraine and Israel. And the economy is in a really bad spot right now here in Canada, where all of us are feeling that one, I bet. And a few years prior, We saw how the world was turned upside down by the global pandemic. We're still feeling the effects of it today. And ever since I've become an adult, I've noticed that people are are and always have been scrambling around, flying by the seat of their pants, having no idea what they're doing. We see what's going on in the world and either panic or withdraw and try to forget everything that happens. We see what's happening within ourselves when we stuff our emotions and suffering down into the depths of us. I do that at least. And what us humans are usually afraid of is loss, the unknown, being alone, and rejection, especially for me, rejection is a big one. But God does not want us to hold onto that fear. He does not want us to stay in the same spot for ages and ages and ages like the whole tornado thing. There is one thing in particular that God requires of us if we are to grow in relationship with him and to be at peace with him and with ourselves. But we'll get to that in a bit. So last week, we started looking at the Lord's Prayer. So Brent began with the phrase, Our Father. And I'm going to continue with the following phrase, In heaven, hallowed be your name. In this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his audience how to pray. He says that when we pray, we must not flaunt our devotion to God because that attention and recognition from others is all that we will receive. 
And when we pray, we don't have to use big words or make the prayer longer than it needs to be. Then Jesus gives us the prayer. And in order to understand this little clause of the prayer, I think it needs to be broken down a bit. First, we'll deal with who is in heaven, and then we'll move on to the hallowed be your name. Dr. Tim Mackey, the mastermind behind the YouTube channel, The Bible Project, has a great video on heaven and earth. And to summarize it, God's space, his realm, is defined by the word heaven. It's his dwelling place. Earth is our space. And before the fall in Genesis, they were united. And post-fall, they were driven apart due to sin entering the world. And Mackey explains and expounds that the union, the overlapping of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. In the book of Leviticus, God had given the people of Israel a way to be in his presence. Since God is a holy God, he despises sin and death and all the ugly things we've done, thought, and said. Sin cannot be in God's presence. But with the introduction of the sacrificial system, the people of Israel were able to be in God's presence, since the slain animals were able to take the place of the sin that they had committed. However, they had to keep coming back and making sacrifices in order to be in his presence. It was like this movement. And what makes me think of this is, I remember a few weeks ago, I had spilt a whole bunch of water on the countertop when I was doing the dishes one day, and it was just getting under everywhere, and I was trying to just grabbed a bunch of paper towel, and I put it on. It would just completely soak it up. Got more paper towel, completely soak it up. And that's kind of what I think of when I think of the sacrificial system. It absorbs the sin, but we have to keep, they have to keep going back to it. Then later, this would be replaced by the permanent, ultimate sacrifice that is Jesus on the cross. And now, let's move on to the other word, hallowed or holy is your name. And just like Lewis said earlier, God's glory, his holiness, cannot be diminished. So the word for holy in the Greek text is the word agiastheto, which, is, which comes from the word agios, which translates to make one holy, to set someone apart, essentially putting God in his rightful place. God is on a different level than us. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's knit each of us together in our mother's wombs. He has sent his own son to be the sacrifice for our sins and to usher in the new creation so that we would be with him. He's beyond all words and actions and thoughts. He's supreme above all things, throned above everything as we were singing and praying before there. Sometimes when I walk into the library at Alberta Bible College, I see this picture, this framed picture of Jesus, which says King of Kings underneath it. And when you go closer, it's a bunch of little pictures of the different rulers like John A. MacDonald and George Washington and a bunch of the other presidents and kings who have ruled throughout the ages. And when you take a step back, it's Jesus looking up with the crown of thorns on his head. In the book of Revelation, particularly in chapters four and five, there's this scene of beautiful worship given to God by all the angels and the elders and the people of God. And in verse 11 of chapter four, it says, worthy, they say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. 
And at the end of all things, we can count on it all being worth it. Because God has shown his faithfulness throughout the story of the Bible and in my life as well. I can testify to that. He is worthy of it all. And it's especially important to keep God's goodness and closeness to us in mind as we pray to him. God's desire is to be near to each of us and for us to love him in return. The nearness of God is such a beautiful theological concept, but oftentimes it gets lost in the midst of all the difficult circumstances and struggles we face in life. There are times when we feel utterly alone without any solace, but that doesn't mean he isn't with us through it all. A few years back, I was in high school. We had just moved from Red Deer. We'd spent 10 years there, and we had dug our roots pretty deep. I had a lot of friends and good relations, and one day, it was time to leave. And it was rough. And it was even more rough when I went into high school. Um, I was completely alone. I didn't really have anyone I could rely on. I didn't have any friends. They were all off somewhere else. Loneliness is hard, particularly that particularly at that time of life. And at that time I really really struggled with the, the idea of God being good but he met me where I was there. That was the time when I really began to believe in the Lord Jesus, when he revealed himself to me. He was the one I could rely on. I wasn't completely alone. He was with me. The world doesn't seem like such a bad place when at least one person has our back. And the problem is though, we can't really rely on other people. Everyone in this world, in this room, is very human. We can't always be there for one another. Oftentimes we're dealing with our own struggles or we're trying to avoid them. Later on in chapter six of Matthew, Jesus has something incredibly important to say that is pretty much right after he gives the prayer. So if you want to turn with me to Matthew six twenty-five to 34, I'm gonna be reading that. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Our heavenly Father feeds us, he clothes us, and he's with us through it all. These are basic needs. We need to eat, we need to be clothed, we need to breathe, we need connection. God has given us everything we need to be able to live. Even if things are tough, we can always rely on God. We can't always count on others to have our backs, but we can always count on God. He is always good, always holy. He is always worthy to be trusted. There once lived a man named Brennan Manning. He was a man who knew what it meant to trust in God. He struggled immensely with alcoholism and sin. He grew up in an abusive home, and it took years for him to really understand what it meant to be loved by God. In his own words, one day he was ambushed by Jesus of Nazareth, and he was never the same again. For the rest of his life, in his writings and sermons, his goal was to help others heal how they viewed God, and thus healed how they viewed themselves. God is not a grumpy bookkeeper of sins. He's not the type to roll one's eyes when talking to someone. No, his love has been displayed for us through the great sacrifice on the cross and through the gentle whisper of his voice. God loves us as we are and not as we should be. In his book, Ruthless Trust, Brennan Manning writes, Trust is our gift back to God. And he finds it so enchanting that Jesus died for love of it. And when I was researching for this message, I wanted to make sure that if there was a distinction between faith and trust, or if they're just interchangeable, but I ended up finding this de definition. It boils down to this. Faith is a belief system. Trust is action. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is, and that what God can do, only God can do. But trust takes things a step further. It is making the willful choice to trust that God will do what he promises, the head versus heart. I think this is a good definition and also an important distinction. Both are absolutely required for us to be able to follow Jesus well. You must have faith that Jesus is who he says he is and that we are redeemed because of what he has done for us and what he is doing in the world. And we trust and what God has done and what he will do. And we trust especially that he is good. The whole high school story doesn't end there. When I was finished high school, for a couple of years, I was kind of drifting along and I wasn't sure what to do with my life. But one day, um, my mom actually um, suggested that I'd go to Alberta Bible College um, and I'm like, okay, sure, fine. And one semester later, I had found my community. I had found a place to belong because God had been faithful in my life. He had given me everything I needed up to that point. God is good. And nothing we could do could ever change that. 
And if there's anything that I can glean from my 23 and a half years of living, it's that God is faithful and he will always be faithful. He is good and he will always be good. And there's nothing we could ever do to change that. In 2 Timothy 2, there's a poem that Paul inserts into the text that wasn't written by him, but it was written by an unknown author around that time. And it's really beautiful, and I think it kind of coincides with what we're talking about here today. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God's whole plan was to bring about the redemption of the world, heaven and earth merging together through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And now we also participate in this plan of the redemption of the world by following Christ and learning what it means to love and to trust in him. After the sacrificial system was replaced um, by the ultimate permanent sacrifice of Jesus, we don't have to keep going back and ask, well, we can keep going back and asking for forgiveness, but it was a once and for all thing. Every time we run to the Father, he will always forgive us. We don't have to be afraid because we're not alone. Despite everything we go through, God is on the throne. He's still good. He's faithful. We can trust that the, over, the fact that his overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who has always loved us. Nothing can separate us from his love. Not confusion, not doubt, not fear, not loneliness. In everything, God is faithful. He's enthroned in the heavens. He's set apart and so far above our wildest imagination. Just like what Romans 8, Romans 8 verse 28 says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So now we keep our eyes on Jesus. The one who has made a way for us to be with the Father again. We put our trust in him, despite everything that goes on in the world and in our lives. There's a quote from Corey Ten Boom that says this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. One of the things that I've been learning in uh, Bible college, um, when I've taken the class spiritual formation, is the spiritual practice practicing the presence of God. And that's the knowledge, the awareness of God always being with us throughout the day, walking with us, weeping with us, laughing with us. That has kind of kept me sane over the last little while, knowing that God is with me, always with me. And like I said, no matter how much we've pushed him away, no matter how lonely, confused, and afraid we are, he will never stop loving us. God has never needed us, but he has always desired us. Therefore, we can trust him. And as I close today, I'm going to invite the worship team up, and we're going to do one last song. But 
I'm going to close in this prayer that a few weeks ago just really just struck me. I was in chapel at, at the college, and we were in these little prayer stations, and I found this prayer by Thomas Merton, and I just wept as I read it because it was exactly what I was, had I been struggling with for the last while. And if you, you guys will join me in prayer, here's how it goes. Dear God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that my desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.